incoming transmission, courtesy of Swan Scientific, where we take the stars under our wings. This message brought to you by the Carrion Corporation, uncovering the universe's potential today. Greetings from Arcadia 19. Our diligent Carrion Corp mining family has uncovered something new and unique deep beneath our cutting-edge underground mining facility. We request your expertise in collection and categorization as Carrion Corp wishes to share this discovery with the universe. Embedded in this transmission are the coordinates to the moon of Arcadia 19, or as we like to call it, home. See you soon. End of transmission. times you've made these trips, flying through the vastness of deep space is nothing short of unbelievable. Those technicolor, heavenly visuals of dying stars passing by, alongside the brilliance of the countless discordant nebulas, makes each trip akin to piloting a craft through history's greatest works of art at breakneck speed. You three are the crew of the Atolla a relatively small research vessel in comparison to most of the ships currently in production, but it flies just as well under the supervision of your diligent and ever-helpful onboard AI, Lisa. The Logistical Intrastorce Assistant is a sphere roughly the size of a globe, with one large eye shuttered in the center, currently sitting stoically on a pedestal. Bang! Bang! Though muffled by the walls of the ship, two impacts are heard against the outer hull of the spacecraft. As the interior onboard lights of the Atolla begin to ignite one by one down its empty corridors, Lisa's singular great eye opens. Inside, glowing red concentric circles of lenses and optical sensors rotate and focus as their spherical body rises from their station and begins floating down the narrow twist and turns of the ship's empty hulls hovering in complete silence. This vessel is a masterwork of organic shapes. There are little to no sharp angles or corners in the Atolla's construction. Circular hallways wind throughout the vessel from the cargo bay in the stern to the viewing deck at the bow of the Atolla, a large, completely spherical room with an immense circular viewing window facing forward to the oncoming stars ahead. The few specialized workspaces housed aboard flare to life as Lisa drifts silently by. The workroom, 
a place to repair, to rebuild, to design, to destroy, and to work on any and all projects that need finishing. The lab, a place to investigate, to hypothesize, to test, and to experiment on any and all discoveries you uncover. Finally, the central headquarters, a place to command from, to plan, to gather, and to regroup before and after any missions that you embark on. As Lisa enters this currently empty shared space, the anachronistic jukebox on one end of the room begins to hum with the telltale electrical hiss that accompanies old earth neon. The multicolored tubes emblazoned on the machine spark with mechanized jubilation as one of the classic records lifts into place and begins to play. This upbeat melody becomes more and more hollow as it reverberates down the empty halls. Lisa's final task in this room is to begin the ever-important percolation of the crew's tried-and-true coffee machine. Those earthy and herbaceous aromas of pulverized dried beans steeping against hot glass are the first sense to process, filter, and be repurposed down these corridors in the last ten months since you three boarded the Atolla. With one last survey of the room, making sure all things are in order, Lisa leaves, seemingly proud of what they've done. Brooks. Even under the proposed safety of your driveway's carport, the sweltering heat of mid-August beats down on you as you work with pride on the engine of your late father's beloved classic car. An early 70s Plymouth Barracuda with a sleek black paint job and chrome accessories. After wiping the sweat from your brow, you happily sit in the driver's seat to finally test the ignition. And to double-check everything that you just patched up after your brother fixed the car. Which, you would add, panned out exactly like you knew it would. You put the key in the ignition and instinctively check your rear view, expecting to see the refracted heat waves dancing off the pavement behind you. Instead, you see filling the entire frame of the mirror glowing red concentric circles of lenses twisting and rotating at high speeds. Slam! Your focus is broken in an instant as the passenger door loudly shuts. You see Briggs, your brother, sitting beside you in the passenger seat. You quickly look back into the rear view and you can see there is nothing too out of the ordinary. Just the reflection of yourself. With a single, trickling line of blood coming down your forehead. Reflexively wiping it with your fingers, you see that it's just a bead of sweat. You think to yourself, why on earth would I even be bleeding? No shit, Brookie, this is mint. You really outdid yourself here. Dad would have fucking loved this, says Briggs as you merge onto the highway from the access road that leads to your late father's house. That rhythmic hum of the engine and the intermittent firing of the pistons as you shift gears and accelerate down the arrow straight road is almost intoxicating. You... You actually did this. You got this museum piece up and running again. Briggs says as he wraps one hand around the handle of the door in anticipation of your inevitable speeding. With the other hand, he turns the knob of the radio. You hear the click of life, see the needle move, and what follows is a static-laden transmission muddled down by a cacophonous caterwauling of cross signals. Ian, if you would, I would like to uh, add the theme and the initial distress call kind of all jumbled together as the radio pops on. Note for later. Yep, that's it. 
Brooks, if you want to have any talk with your brother here, we can do that in this space. Space, um, get it? In the space? Oh my god. Does he hear the radio being weird? Guess the radio's next on the list, huh? I'm gonna hit it with my hand. Yeah, as you're driving, you hit the dashboard and it fizzles out for a moment into silence. Brookie, has that ever worked? I mean, yeah, man. <laughs> it just worked. What are you uh, going to do without me while I'm up there? He kind of points up to the sky as you're driving. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to work at the shop, man. Yeah, I guess someone's going to take care of it now that Dad's gone. So I'll be up there fixing UFOs or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to meet a nice alien lady, right? One can only hope, huh? <laughs> Haven't had much luck down here. <laughs> maybe next time, Brookie, maybe in a few years you can try out and get up there to space with me. I think I roll my eyes. That is if you could fix a damn thing. Uh, I don't think space is for me. Okay, Brookie. As you're having this conversation with Briggs, you take your eyes off the road just for a moment to look at him. But now he's silhouetted, a glowing red corona of brake lights filling the car, and then before you can hit the brakes, turn the wheel, force the Barracuda to do anything else, impact. Briggs has vanished from view into a gasoline-soaked Gordian knot of steel and eternal fire. And then you open your eyes. Welcome back, Brooks. I do hope you slept well. Your expertise is required. As you awaken in your cryosleep pod, you see the luminous great eye of Lisa hovering nearby as you sit up. You see the other two pods still closed, but translucent enough to acknowledge that they contain the other two members of your flight crew. Looking down, you can see that you're still in your flight suit, and next to your pod are your personal effects. Why don't you take a moment and describe yourself and tell me what those personal effects are? Okay. Um, Brooks, um, I am playing... Wait. Why am I saying it like that? Have I never podcasted before? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, shut up. I haven't been a player in a minute, okay? Fair. Sounds like business as usual to me. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) my name is Brooks. She, they pronouns. Brooks is wearing, I assume, uh, an Eva suit. You're wearing a flight suit. I just said, yep, in the pod. Flight suit. Okay. And I imagine it to be like orange and white. Brooks is kind of unassuming, just straight dark hair, wears glasses, somewhere between 25 and 30 probably, pretty young and then my personal effects, I think really all I have can I have my wrench here? Would that be a weird thing to just have from like home? No, I don't think so and your glasses, obviously Oh yeah, my glasses (laughs) are probably, yeah, my glasses are there, my wrench And I think I have, like, a chain necklace of sorts, and it has a um, single Plymouth Barracuda key on it. Ooh, that's cool. Very cool. I like that a lot. So just a meta question. 
already, <laughs> just off the bat. Yeah, that's so fast. <laughs> Love these. Stuff happened between, like, I I remember the car accident, right? Yep. Like, stuff happened in between. I'm not like literally like waking up here. So yeah, this is a dream okay. memory nightmare. I throughout that, that narration, you were working on the car and then inexplicably driving the car. The scenes changed yeah, around you like a okay. dream. That's what I thought, but I wanted to make sure. Your brother did not die. I will tell you, he's not dead. I he, didn't think so. I feel like yeah, he would have warned to me. Yeah, I would. Okay. <laughs> he did not get to go to space. But how's the bear? How's the bear? <laughs> is the uh, bear not great. fucked up? Oh god. Uh, maybe the key is all you have left of it. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Please be careful when exiting the Swan Scientific Cryo Slumber Pod Brooks. Your equilibrium may need time to adjust. Potential short-term side effects of prolonged cryosleep include, but are not limited to, headaches, nausea, drowsiness, irritability, difficulty with coordination, changes in patterns and rhythms of speech, trouble concentrating, trouble sleeping, trouble performing routine tasks, seeing, hearing, or feeling things that are (laughs) not there. Would you like me to continue the list, Brooks? No, I got it. I've prepared a glass of water and a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory pill, if you so desire. And you can see on the counter next to you where your personal effects are, there is a cup of water and two pills. (laughs) Me, Katie, I am suspicious, but I'm going to stretch. Can I stretch a little bit? And then I will take these pills. Okay. Would you die? Glasses? Uh, oh god! <laughs> I'm gonna put my glasses and my chain back on. There has been a slight mechanical failure in the Atolla's navigational array dish. Your expertise is required for repair. I am happy to assist you in any way that I can. All right. Uh, do I just go there? Your workroom is in order. The navigational array dish is on the exterior hull. Okay. I'm assuming we've had, like, training and, like, we know, like, the layout of the ship and stuff, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can head down to your workroom if you want to do that. Like, am I supposed to wait for these other two? Like, is there a protocol for coming out of cryogenic sleep or whatever. Their expertise is not required. Oh, good, because I don't like these old farts. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to say hello to them. They are asleep. Whatever you say to them, they will not hear. I hold up my middle fingers at both of them. As you head into your workroom, I want you to describe it. Every spacer gets a unique room. Mm -hmm. In the intro, I kind of narrated what these rooms can be used for, but I'd like you to tell me what your workroom looks like. Okay, so in my head, and you can tell me if this is completely unrealistic, but I imagine like a futuristic like auto shop, like a mechanic shop, and I have brought... I imagine there's not much space, but I brought like a couple vintage 
signs. Like I imagine I have like a Shell gas station sign, cool. like a little metal sign. And I was thinking like a Ford sign because that's just one of the most recognizable car signs. But I could maybe do like a Plymouth sign. But sure. I feel like that's too much. No. I mean, if it's something okay. that you like and it grounds you to your family, I don't see that being too much at all. Okay. So you kind of have like a vintage body shop almost in this yeah. ship. Cool. No, I love that a lot. But there's no cars. No. <laughs> there's no cars, no cars. here. <laughs> no space cars. No cars in space. <laughs> so you collect your tools. Imagine I have a really really cool like tool belt can i have a cool tool belt tell me what kind of cool it is what do you it's like a vintage tool but everything's vintage i love vintage no that's i like that you know uh that old earth i think that kind of tells as i described the jukebox and everything in the other room Mm -hmm. so lisa leads you down this narrow winding hall to the airlock a spherical room with reinforced double doors facing the inside of the atolla leading directly to identical reinforced double doors leading outside into the cosmic silence of deep space. Each of these doors has a single circular window to ensure the safety of whatever is inside. Hanging in lockers near the entrance of the airlock are three EVA suits. These suits are not the puffy, bulked-up spacesuits of the past. Instead, they are more streamlined, comfortable, and sleek, allowing anyone a full range of motion, protection from the elements or lack thereof, moderate protection from bodily harm, and an all-encompassing forearm-mounted data pad, as well as a limited supply of oxygen. What do you is do? This, is this the first time I've, like, been in space? You mean, like, if you're about to go out and fix things on the side of a ship? Well, like, even, like, looking out this window, I imagine I would, like, pause at the window and be like, holy shit, I'm in space. Yeah, uh, the three of you went up together and probably spent about a week not in cryosleep, and then Mm -hmm. Lisa helped you all into the pods and everything and got you set for your ten-month slumber. So you spent a little bit of time in space, but not, you haven't been up and around too much. I think I have, like, an oh shit moment thinking about the dream I just had where I told Briggs that space wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, assuming the fix is out there. Yes. On the whole, we have come in contact with something. Detritus, most likely. It has not the navigational array dish loose or damaged it. I am unable to see from in here. Your expertise is required. Alright. I guess I'm going to put on an EVA suit. Yeah, and I think you can put your tool belt around the EVA suit, you know, wearing it as you would. Yeah. Just make sure everything is strapped in. Yeah, I don't want to lose my favorite wrench in space. (laughs) Don't want to lose your wrench in space. What do you do? Oh, fuck, I'm going into space. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) And Lisa stays on the ship, right? Are you asking me or are you asking Lisa? I'm asking you. (laughs) I'm already afraid, okay? I don't trust you. You're a highly trained mechanic. I know, I know. You are? And you've gone through training to go to space. They didn't just put you in a ship. 
Okay. Yes, I'm confident. You're confident. I'm a tough Let's hear guy. that confidence. I'm a tough <laughs> 80s nervous. Okay, yeah, I would put on the Eva suit, make sure my tools are secure, and then I am going to, I guess, exit the ship here. You step through the two double doors into the airlock, and they close behind you, leading towards the ship. You kind of hook yourself into a tether before the back doors open to space, and through that singular circular window you just see that great red eye of Lisa it fills the entire window and as those back doors open you see but you don't hear that hiss a little bit of ventilation kind of exits as you start to drift out onto the hull of the Atolla as you drift past that doorway you see that great eye of Lisa look at you and then turn and head back down the hallway. Imagine it's very lonely to be in space and then watch your only robot friend walk away from you. (laughs) As you float here in silence, you hear nothing but the sound of your own breathing as you drift tethered towards the damage. Why don't you as you get out here. I want you to survey the scene. Oh, cool. I have mine's the nicest, which is roll tech instead of head, but my tech and head are the same, so it doesn't even fucking matter, but that's just the move I get. I didn't get to pick it. But you did get to pick your numbers, which you could have changed in accordance to that move. But head is good for the other one, so I was like, well, I want good head and tech. Mm, We We all want want good head. head. (laughs) 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 when things seem dangerous or uncertain you can try to survey the scene be sure to let the speaker that's me know how you're surveying things and how and how you do it will affect what you can learn so to survey the scene you need to roll plus head okay i mean i assume i'm just looking around and i'm going to try to Mm -hmm. make my way over to the damage yep all right Oh, the first roll, I'm scared. It's a fucking a six, so it's a seven plus two, it's a nine. On a seven to nine, you can ask the speaker one question. The questions are, what happened here? What can hurt me? What can help me? How can I get out of here? Who's in charge here? Who knows something? Who's in the most danger? Would I know anything that's related to this? Is there something important that I am missing? Hmm. I mean, that last one sounds like too intense for the situation. I feel like this is just... It's very, very low stakes here. Yeah, this should just be like, this is my day job here, so I don't feel like I would be suspicious yet. I guess I'm going to just go easy and say, what happened here? Yeah, so as you kind of lift yourself to the hull of this spacecraft. There are a lot of bits and bobs sticking out of it, antennae and all that. But you see this navigational array dish. It's bent and battered. It looks like something hit it as you were flying through space. There's some, like, dark, almost blast marks on it. Not from, you know, a laser or anything. There's no, you know 
Okay. There's certainly no UFOs shooting lasers at you or anything like that. <laughs> it looks like a piece of space junk just knocked it off, and it is actually holding onto the ship via a series of wires. Some are frayed, okay. but there are a few still holding it on. So I can gather that this is just run-of-the-mill type shit for a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have come on you, Bosch Tet. Is that a move? Tell me about it. Yes, it's whenever there's a mechanical failure of some kind, roll plus head. On a 10 plus, you suss out the problem quickly and know how to fix it. On a 7 and 9, it's going to take you some time to stay and examine it first. On a miss, you definitely think you know how to fix it. Fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> why don't you... We'll say that you get over there, you're connected to the ship, you can just kind of float climb your way over to this dish. Mm-hmm. Nothing you're not trained for, and why don't you roll your Boshtet move? Oh God, and I lost let's hope you do well. Now, is that move spelled C-U-M or C-O-M-E? <laughs> C-O-M-E. <laughs> Where the fuck did my dice go? You Space, just baby. rolled them like two seconds You literally ago. just rolled them. I, I dropped it as I was trying to roll it, and it went under my desk. Farkled. And literally into space because it's gone. Well, are you playing from space? Yes, I'm. I'm in space. You Tom Cruise, you. She's <laughs> okay. on the ISS. The delay is awful. All right. Okay, that is Farkle yet again. Okay. Just roll your fucking. God, it's dice. the same exact. <laughs> what? One landed on my pencil. It's crooked. My pencil. <laughs> It's the same exact roll. It's a six and a one. So seven plus two is a nine. Noise. So on a seven and nine, it's going to take you some time to stay and examine it first. So I have to work out how to fix this. You set yourself up here in a way that you can be stable on the ship and you're not having to hold on the entire time, maybe a secondary ballast to hold yourself in here. And you start grabbing at your tools, which as you open your pack, one or two start to float away and you grab them and put them back where they need to be and you begin the process of reattaching this navigational array and we'll go back inside the ship and I'm singing Barracuda to myself (laughs) (laughs) ooh Barracuda Wyatt the borderline stale smell of synthesized pipe tobacco and faux leather books assault your senses as you sit in the overly cramped office of your mentor, Dr. Gregorian. Waiting for him to arrive for the meeting, you're struggling to remember even setting. You're longing for the crisp and clean air of the sterilized labs that you've grown accustomed to intensifies tenfold. This room, this archaic workplace, stands as almost a perfect antithesis of that ideal. Lying in the dead center is Dr. Gregorian's massively cluttered ersatz oak desk, which is riddled with folders, half-chewed writing utensils, and loose, flagrantly-tossed papers. As you sit, flanked on either side by these infinitely towering bookshelves, completely stocked and spilling over with textbooks and medical journals, you feel your skin begin to crawl. The sensation reminiscent of innumerable bugs crawling up your legs and arms turns your skin to goose flesh, and you can feel your blood pressure rising with each passing moment. 
spending your day waiting for the old man to join you amidst this rhymeless and reckless wreckage of a residence is not why you became the doctor that you are today. You've worked so hard to achieve this level of education and renown in your field. Countless days spent studying, sleepless nights, a record-breaking number of hours in the university's labs, and more caffeine than any one man should ever ingest. Now you're sitting uncomfortably in... I heard you drink coffee. That's funny. Now you're sitting uncomfortably in this worn plastic chair as the walls and the various detritus scattered around the room seem to inch closer to you each and every time you take your eyes off them, even for a moment. That sudden loss of equilibrium as the four off-kilter legs of the chair rock you to and fro each time you lose concentration on keeping yourself perfectly level makes you jump and your heart wraps a double beat. As you were unconsciously distracted by the sudden inhalation of breath made while lurching forward to correct yourself, you must have somehow missed Gregorian entering the study. <clears throat> Kin, I didn't see you come in. Can I get you tea? Coffee? Perhaps something stronger. Doctor, I don't see how you get anything done in this mess of a room. <clears throat> Gregorian goes to prepare a drink, coughing deeply over the bar cart and making the thin blanket of dust billow into the surrounding air like an ethereal mist. The room around you seems to grow smaller. Now, as the doctor sits next to you in a dilapidated armchair that you were certain was just moments ago, a pile of thesis papers desperately in need of acceptance or denial. Bits of what seem to be soil fall from beneath his yellowed fingernails as he hands you a drink. The light, crinkling clinks of the ice rotating in Gregorian's glass create a rhythmic, trance-like cadence that emanates and refracts off the various glass bottles, crystalline awards, and miscellaneous accolades on display in his office. <clears throat> Cal told me you were taking the non-profit approach in lieu of actually making some well-deserved money. Well, obviously, <clears throat> a living must be made, but... What I do is is important. These discoveries, they, they are to benefit uh, mankind as a whole, not to create yet another uh, industrious company just driven for profit. I thought I'd drilled more sense in that head of yours. <sighs> I'm wasting your time up there in space looking for things that ain't there when you could be down here making money for your family. With... All due respect, Doctor, up there is where <laughs> the true discoveries are to be made. We've seen everything there is to see on our planet. There are so many more with, with life out there. New kinds of life. Well, Wyatt, that sounds kind of like horse apples to me, but... uh if you find it out there, you bring it back. <laughs> you bring it back. You bring it back to me, and you show me. Okay, Gregorian, you are the smartest man I have ever met. How can you say that there's not a, a plethora of fantastic discoveries to be made out there? <coughs> Another series of deep and harsh chest coughs heave out of Gregorian. He holds a handkerchief to his mouth as a courtesy, wiping the soil from his stained lips. You can see a not insignificant pile of something dark in the now open palm of his handkerchief. 
After a prolonged moment of inspecting it himself, he drops it to the floor and you can see his eyes begin to gloss over with a brackish film. Doctor, is everything okay? Like the volatile volcanoes of old earth, an eruption of loam and sediment spews from his mouth as he drops from atop the pile of papers onto the floor. Acting quickly, you join the fallen doctor and begin to perform chest compressions. Clearing the dirt from his mouth and seeing inside this open maw, you fall backwards, stunned by the glowing red concentric circles of lenses twisting and rotating at high speeds that begin rising up from his mouth, which is now locked in an eternal scream. Then, you open your eyes. Welcome back, Dr. Kenton. I do hope you slept well. Your expertise may be required. Yes, uh, Lisa, make sure we check the dosage on the sleep aids. I believe I'm experiencing some side effects. Noted, Doctor. As you awaken in your cryosleep pod, you see that luminous great eye of Lisa hovering nearby. You see the other two pods. Brooks is now open and emptied. The other still closed, but translucent enough to acknowledge that it contains the remaining member of your flight crew. Looking down, you can see you're still in your flight suit, and next to your pod are your personal effects. Please describe yourself and those personal effects, Dr. Kenton. Well, so Dr. Kenton is... uh uses he him pronouns he is a heavyset guy he has an unkempt beard he doesn't bother to keep it uh keep himself clean cut out here in space Uh, which means you can see that he's got um he doesn't have the best head of hair he's an older guy he's probably i would say close to 50 okay he wears you know i don't know space clothes (laughs) Like some kind of high-tech lab coat. Okay. Part of your personal effects next to you, I assume, hanging up? Yes, exactly. Are you also a bespectacled person? Yeah, he would put on his glasses that are with his personal effects. And did you mention to me that you had a sort of tablet, a data pad of sorts? Or am I misremembering that? That's correct, yeah. I've got a data pad that is always by my side. It probably hooks onto my belt. Perfect. Or let's say that it hooks... There's a place for it on the inside of my lab coat where it hooks into place. Cool. Please be careful when exiting the Swan Scientific Cryo Slumber Pod, Dr. Kenton. Your equilibrium may need time to adjust. Would you like me to list the potential short-term side effects of prolonged cryosleep? Uh, no, no, of course, of course not. I, you know that I know them. Um, what is the business that I must attend to? I'll nip it in the bud and get back to sleep. We should be well rested by the time we make our destination. Brooks is currently on the exterior hall of the Atolla. Their expertise was required to fix the damaged external navigational array dish. Please prepare the lab in preparation for any unseen injuries that Brooks may potentially incur. I am happy to assist you in any way that I can. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, Dr. Kenton. And I head to the lab. 
I would love for you to describe your lab and how you prepare your tools in preparation of potential injury. My lab is clearly set up for mostly like biology. Of course, it's clean and orderly and sanitized, but there are also uh, rows upon rows, shelves upon shelves of flora, just different kind of plants from different origins, like many from, from, it's called Earth, right? Still? Yeah. Okay, yeah, many from Earth, but also some that are clearly alien in nature. But then under this canopy of biology is very clean, very orderly lab equipment. I think because of that chaos and disorder of Gregorian's methods, I have fashion myself in the other direction. Everything has a place. Everything is straight up and down. Nothing is askew. But, you know, there's all manner of equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, microscopes, beakers, Bunsen burners, and whatnot. Oh, and of course there's a place for me to dock my data pad so that it functions as the main computer of this lab. Oh, cool. I like that a lot. As you make your way down the halls of the Atolla here towards your lab, you notice something strange. There's footprints on the ground. They're not dust. They're mud. Soil. And they look like a dress shoe. They're not a EFA suit boot. They're not the slippers that you go and cryosleep in. They are a muddy, heeled dress shoe tracking into your lab. What do you do? Oh, that's impossible. Um, uh, I think I would begin to look around in some of the plants, because as far as I know, that's the only place in the ship that there would be soil to track around. So I, I just, I'm just going to look around at my plants to see if any of them have been um, disturbed. Why don't you roll me a survey of the scene? Okie dokie. That's head? Yes. I would like to use a luck. Okay. Just I get... think it's called something different here. No, I, I, I don't. I'm okay. It's, um, I... There is a mechanic for that, though. Oh, it yeah. says it on your playbooks, isn't there? Intuition. Intuition. Yeah. Remove an intuition to enter roll to incredible success. But obviously, the stakes are not that high here, so you do whatever you like. Right. I rolled a four plus two is a six, so I failed. Well, go ahead and mark experience. Ooh. Gladly. We do fail forward here. So you head over to your batch of crops here to the only place where dirt exists up here in space and you take a moment to I assume with some sort of tool kind of push plants aside to check the soil beneath see if anything has disturbed it especially anything with a size 10 shoe and there's nothing there's no disturbance at all they are precisely how you left them ordered 10 months ago when you went into cryosleep I must remember to 
tell Brooks not to be rooting around in my lab. And that's when you hear a knocking, a scratching, some sort of disturbance coming from one of your... You hear this disturbance coming from one of your cabinets. It's above your workstation. There's a line of them, but you see... You see the door of one jostling ever so slightly. What do you do? Hello? Brooks? With that, it starts to rattle, and the door starts to lightly open and close. It it almost sounds like it's wheezing, like it... Uh, with that... With that, I grab for my tangle gun. Which is, I I would say, on one of the desks or in a holster of some sort in your lab? I would say it's probably on a nearby... Rack? Yeah, there's probably, like, a place that it, like, hooks into, but it's easy to grab it. And you're just pointing it at this cabinet? Well, I'm trying to get a... I mean, it, I guess the cabinet is closed, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I have it ready... But I definitely want to know what I'm contending with, so I think I'm going to just approach slowly and try and rip open the door and get it restrained so that I can study it. I mean, that's my whole deal. As you kind of push yourself to take step by step across your lab closer to this cabinet, the noise... gets louder and louder with each step you take until it is all that you can hear. It is hurting your ears as you get closer and the door is shaking harder and harder as you step forward. And as you reach your hand to open this door, you swing it open and there's nothing. There is vials, containers, things that live in your lab. And from behind you, you hear... I'm sorry to disturb you, Dr. Kenton. I have prepared a glass of water and a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory pill, if you so desire. And you can see sitting on the counter of your lab in front of Lisa is just a cup of water and a pill. Around you, there are no dirty footprints on the ground. Everything is clean as you left it. Would Lisa be the AI that is in my tablet as well, or would there be a different kind of... Lisa has full control of everything on the ship. Okay. If you have a system on your computer, I don't know if it's an AI as much as it is just an operating system. And I think you can definitely contact Lisa at any point. Um, All of the EVA suits have a tablet built into their arm, separate of yours. Sure. Which can keep you in contact with Lisa at all times. Okay, cool. Yes, thank you, Thank you, Lisa. Do please double back on the sleep aids. I I think I may might be seeing... Oh, I might be having some hallucinatory side effects. I think we should definitely uh, check on the dosage, if you haven't already looked into that. I am currently running the diagnostics as we speak, Dr. Kinton. Thank you, Lisa. I would expect no less of you. Of course, Doctor.
Hello, and welcome to Shrimp and Crits Arcadia. I'm your Sanguine Space Invader Cap and your current GM or speaker for the next indeterminate amount of episodes. Before we get into all the podcast business stuff, I have a few people to thank for helping me get Arcadia off the ground. Firstly, I want to thank Jess, who is my bestie and writing mentor, I would say. She's always there for me to bounce story ideas off of, and is probably the best writer I have ever met. I want to thank Alex, our Patreon Discord mod, who has been my best friend since about third grade. Not only is he just a whiz at Discord, but he also helped inspire a big portion of what you're hearing today. I also want to say thank you to Rem, the writer of the incredible Starhold TTRPG that you're hearing us play now. They've been so helpful on socials, answering any questions, and they've been sharing our promotions for the series. You are extremely cool for that. Thank you. If you want to get your hands on this awesome game, go to StarholdRPG.com. I want to send a big thank you to Ian, Katie, and Ryan. One for being my victims, I mean playing this series and trusting me with the reins for a few episodes, and two, for being genuinely amazing people and constant inspirations in my daily life and on this show. You are all so great, and I love you very much. Lastly, but arguably most importantly, I want to thank all of you. You are all amazing listeners and I can't believe how much excitement you've showed for this series, and I just super appreciate your willingness to hear something new. Y'all have been incredibly supportive of me and our show, and uh, I mean, we wouldn't even be here without you. So I just want to say thank you for listening, and I, I really hope you're enjoying this so far. Okay, business stuff. Get ready. Firstly, new on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash shrimpandcrits. There is a new episode of a new show out called Oofy TV. This is a wild late night television program in an audio format starring Ian and Ryan, and you will laugh till you pee your pants, I think. It is um, nonsense and very funny. I don't know what else to say about it. It is strange, but I really think you'll enjoy it. We also have a new episode of Barb's Bloopers coming out. Or maybe has come out already, but it's in the barrel, and you'll be hearing it soon. It is hilarious. I listened to it just the other day and could not stop laughing. We are on all the social medias. You can find us on the Flaming Remains of Twitter called X or 10, I'm not sure. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. All of those are at Shrimp and Crits. We are on Blue Sky, which is the new Twitter we are at shrimpandcrits.com. You can find us on Mastodon. I got this wrong last time, but thank you, Mr. F, for correcting me. We are at shrimpandcrits at podvibes, P-O-D-V-I-B-E-S dot C-O on Mastodon. You can find us there. Oh, for all of you who listen to us on Stitcher, as of tomorrow, August 29th, Stitcher will no longer be a thing. They are closing down shop. You can find us on any other podcatcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Pocket Casts, which is what I use. We're on everything else. Find us there. Review us there. But Stitcher is closing down, so if you use that, find a new podcatcher now. 
I want to remind everybody to review us wherever you can. If you can give us stars, give us all the stars. Ryan's very hungry. If you can write a review, if you loved Whimsy World, Katie did an excellent job. I loved it. You loved it. Write a review about it. Let everybody else know that they should listen. Again, we are a bi-weekly show. We come out on Mondays. Our next episode of Shrimp and Crits Arcadia will release on September the 11th. I'll see you then. Stay safe out there. Bye. Black and Kevlar weigh heavily on your aging back and shoulders as you step out of the entrance of your current base of operations. The silent breeze of the cold night wraps around you, making a full breath hard to come by. Putting the palms of your hands on the small of your back and stretching, your eyes lock onto that fading sliver of sunset now sinking just under the horizon. Drawing in deeply despite the chill, you hope to catch the last ray of the sun's rejuvenating heat before this, in the words of your assistant watch officer, absolute dog shit assignment. This was not even supposed to be your shift. Somebody pestered you for days to cover it. So, here you are. Slated for watch duty at a foreign allied base. From 2000 to 08. That's 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Oh, I have the chart pulled up in front of me. Don't worry. You, your A duty, Sergeant Trips, two soldiers, and one linguist make the not insignificant journey to the base in almost complete silence. Other than some failed attempts at humor from Trips and the droning hum of the local insect population as your transport passes by, The ride is eerily calm. When you finally arrive, that all-too-recognizable feeling of being alone, or in this case, nearly alone, is palpable as soon as you enter the base for this 12-hour shift. Other than the five of you, everyone here is part of the Allied Foreign Military. It's unsettling, but it's part of the job, and it's nothing if not a feeling that you are intimately familiar with. Trips wasn't lying when he called this task boring as fuck. He always did have a distinct way with words. For hours upon hours you stand your duty, answering asinine calls, keeping an experienced eye on the current ongoing operation happening miles away. Feeling that telltale rumble and looking at your watch, you know it's been far too many hours since you or anyone you've brought with you has eaten a proper meal. So you make your way to the DFAC, or the chow hall, as Trips would say, on your way passing countless watching eyes. You may just be paranoid in this unfamiliar base, but it does seem like everyone here is intimately involved in each and every one of your actions. Whether it's overt or covert, you are never far from the feeling of being watched. 
Apparently, this ongoing conflict has taken more casualties than you expected, because all you can find here in the Chow Hall that is worth a damn is a withering supply of seemingly unseasoned and painfully overboiled chicken. It goes down, but it goes down dry. At least it's something, and honestly, anything to break up the monotony of staring out into the darkness that extends in all directions is a godsend right now. Less the sounds of the buzzing insects, which somehow even permeate the walls of this base. All is quiet, and you are starting to feel that increasing weight of exhaustion as you head towards the mess door, and back to your post to await sunrise. Grabbing the door handle, you realize that it's locked from the outside. Just then you hear two explosive knocks, loud as thunder, and looking through the windows of the mess doors, you see what you can only assume in a flash is the body of an allied soldier flying through the air just in front of the door. Then a gunshot. Then another rings out. You can now see the gunshots flying in front of you. A smattering of allied forces and the soldiers you brought with you are shooting at something, but you don't know what. And you can't see anything from in here. It seems in a matter of moments, all hell has broken loose. What do you do? Was I with Trips? Uh, no. You are in this mess hall and it is locked from the outside. You do not have eyes on Trips from in here. I would like to flip up a table and sit mm-hmm. behind it. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's perfectly valid. Lay back behind it and I will get on my comm. Hmm, that's fun. Are you trying to ping trip yeah trying to ping trips that's a weird sentence sorry yeah what do you say into the radio trying to be gruff and not ray ray Mm. (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to be gruff and not johnny matters so (laughs) failure trips sergeant there's a situation in the mess hall do you have eyes on it and i think what what you hear is this broken transmission, garbled music and distress calls, and with it you hear. Sergeant! Sergeant! God damn it. So it seems like everything's going on outside the mess hall. Yep, yep, right outside the mess hall doors, which are locked and there's no means to look at it it's not like a cafeteria door with like the little slit windows it's exactly that you can see a little bit out but it's it's pitch black outside you see gunfire sparks shooting in all directions can i justify having a mirror of some sort that i can take out and look (laughs) look behind me yeah i mean i don't i don't see why not if you want to just pop your head over or if you want to use some sort of little Extended mirror, you see the door, every shell that fires nearby rattles it, and you can still see some sparks of light through the windows, but other than that, the mess hall itself is quiet, you're the only one in here, you and that overboiled chicken, but other than that, everything else seems to be happening outside. I guess I'm just going to try to get this door open. Brute force, or what? Probably first instinct, just to try to kick it in. That sounds good to me. Just roll Act Under Fire for me. It's our first Act Under Fire move. It is the same thing as Monster of the Week, just about. Here we go. Act Under Fire. Danger surrounds your spacer, and it takes a combination of resilience, cunning, skill, and luck to survive it. 
Acting under fire can be any situation that requires a special kind of grit to get through, from trying to pull a fast move and avoiding getting hurt to attempting something outside of a person's daily exertions. For example, if your spacer is trapped outside their ship in an EVA suit, without a tether and attempting to jump to the nearest door, the speaker might have you roll act under fire to see what happens. So when you roll act under fire, roll plus hand. All right, and I got an eight. On a seven to nine, the speaker will give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. Beautiful. You're just going for a, a straight, this is Sparta kick. Yeah. I love it. I definitely have my gun drawn. I'm assuming I'm done right now. Yes. Yeah. You are, you have, in your Flak and Kevlar, you have all of your, you have a sidearm and a rifle, I would assume. Yeah. With one strong kick, you blow this door open. The, the lock to the mess hall is not, you know, it's not an important lock here in the base. As soon as you find yourself outside, guttural roars, pain groans, and a primordial hissing envelop the base. Someone is attacking this base. Something is making these horrific noises. People are dying. Shells are dropping. And you look everywhere for your assistant watch officer, or just someone with a familiar face. That's when you see him. Sergeant Trips. The edge of a spotlight illuminating what's left of him. Half of his helmet has gone along with that side of his face. His body and limbs are contorted and folded unnaturally into a ball of crushed bones and snapped ligaments. As you reach him, trying to find some shelter amongst the calamity surrounding you, he opens the still intact section of his lips. Your fault! Your fault! He says with his dying breath. And you feel a sudden heat on your back. The chaos and carnage around you shifts in an instant to utter and complete silence as the first sliver of sunrise creeps out from beneath the blanket of the horizon. You stand at attention and in complete shock as replacing the rising sun you see a tremendous glowing orb of red concentric circles of lenses twisting and rotating at high speeds, holding its position high in the sky above you, bathing you in crimson light. And then you open your eyes. Welcome back, Major Strong. I do hope you slept well. Your expertise is required. As you awaken in your cryosleep pod, you can see this luminous, great red eye of Lisa hovering nearby you as you sit up. You can see the other two pods belonging to Brooks and Dr. Kinton, both now open and devoid of life. Looking down, you can see you are still in your flight suit, and next to your pod are your personal effects. If you would describe Major Ford Strong and tell me about those personal effects. Major Ford Strong is a... uh, He uses he, him pronouns, and I'm going to try to think of not the word gruff, but but he is a older man... uh, pretty rugged in his late 40s. Right? That sound right? Let's say That's 50s. not old. <laughs> let's, let's say mid-50s. Cool. Yeah. Just a little bit older than Kenton. Mid-50s. Graying, but not quite long hair that he keeps in a nice well-kept ponytail. 
he couldn't have long hair all those years in the military, so this is his Zen phase. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and a like mustache to goatee. What sort of personal effects would be uh, next to your pod? Probably not much. I would have my chef's bag, which has an assortment of knives and probably a notebook that I keep recipes in. And I believe I keep a collection of dog tags as well. Tell me about that. A collection? Are they yours? Are they yours and other people's? Yeah, I think just some of my fallen friends in mine. Do you wear them or just keep them? I just keep them. Wonderful. And I would also have my mechanical arm would be sitting with my things. I don't think I wouldn't wear it in cryosleep. Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Uh... Um, which is my left arm. I have a mechanical left arm. Okay. I am left-handed, as are all my other characters that I want. <laughs> yeah, so you, you pick up your personal effects and your prosthesis, and you get yourself situated. Please do be careful when exiting the Swan Scientific Cryoslumber Pod, Major Strong. Your equilibrium may need time to adjust. Short-term side effects of prolonged cryosleep include, but are not limited to, headaches, nausea, drowsiness, irritability, difficulty with coordination, changes in patterns and rhythms of speech. I get it. Very well. Mr. Strong? Thank you, Lisa. You are very welcome. I'm getting too old for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Brooks is currently on the exterior hull of the Atova. Their expertise was required to fix the damaged external navigational array dish. Dr. Kinton is currently preparing the lab. As we are nearing the moon of Arcadia 19, I would suggest preparing a nourishing meal, as you have all been asleep for the last ten months. I've taken the liberty of preparing the hub for your arrival, and I am happy to assist you in any way that I can. That won't be necessary, Lisa, thank you. Inform everyone, breakfast will be served at 0800. Dinner will be 1800. I will inform them immediately. So you have the central hub in your character sheet. I took two liberties in my opening narration with yours. Um, Everything else I would like you to describe, I described a jukebox, a kind of retro jukebox in there, as well as a coffee machine. Everything else is up to you. Okay. I'm sorry I put things in your room. (laughs) <laughs> but I would love for you to uh, describe kind of what the central hub looks like. It, it Kitchen, you know, hangout room, anything, anything you would like. Yeah, I don't feel like the kitchen would be in the main hangout hub, or unless you do. There would be a separate kitchen, right? I think just because it's what you want for your character, I want to incorporate it into your room. So in my head, it kind of looks like a open floor plan main room of or main floor of a house you know where there's like a kitchen on one side yeah yeah i got you so i think it would look kind of like an apartment 
Okay. Like, uh, just a big open room. There's the jukebox with a, basically a hangout area with, like, I don't know, probably a TV. Because TV's a thing right now. I'm sure TVs are a thing. Sure. Gotta be. Some form of visual entertainment. And then on the other side is a big open kitchen plan. I'm picturing, like, that there's a wall between the kitchen and this in the main part of the room, but like there's like a window, like there would be in a restaurant where you put. That's up like exactly plates. how I see it in my head too. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like an open kitchen, but like glass wall, or yeah. And is this like uh, restaurant quality equipment in there? You got one of the the big sprayer sinks and things like that. Uh, yeah, it's a. It looks like a small commercial kitchen. So there is an oven, stove top flat top grill burners and a sink I love that just the basics so Ford as you enter into this central area and step behind that wall to your kitchen the first thing that you notice is on top of your prep table the big table that backs up against the wall between the two rooms there is a box but a box you are intimately familiar with this is a flag covered coffin not again Ford not again I I think I'll close my eyes and open them back up just kind of trying to make myself snap out of it you close your eyes kind of squeezing them tightly maybe clenching your fists as you do so and you open them up again and the coffin is still there and the flag has been pulled up and the lid is slightly off kilter if you were to walk up to it you could see inside you could close it you could do whatever you wanted I think I will approach the box you said it's open It's like the lid is askew, so it's there's a small opening. If you were to stand over it, you could look into it. Yeah. Yes, I will will approach the coffin. You take a few steps, almost hesitantly, but you keep telling yourself this isn't real. And as you get close to it and look in, you see something green sticking out. It's... Is it kale? There's a big a big leaf of kale sticking out of it. And as you look deeper in, there's other grains and fruits and meat grains in containers. This this coffin is full of delicious food. Ingredients that you need. Is this some kind of joke? Your yell kind of echoes out and reverberates off that glass wall in front of you back at you. And then you see the handle of the fridge jostle ever so slightly as you yell that out of the corner of your eye. What do you do? I'll look back at the coffin. It's still there. Yep, still full of uh, fresh fruit, vegetables. I'll close the coffin and slowly side-eye the fridge and start walking towards the fridge. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I will check inside probably very quickly. 
Like I'll probably quickly like alert, pull open the fridge. Yeah. Oh, I would pick up my chef's knife on the way there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So chef knife in one hand, opening the fridge. <laughs> you quickly whip the door of this fridge open and inside you see the broken twisted corpse of Sergeant Trips. So twisted that his head is sitting low in the fridge, his arms and legs folded and bent to fit in the fridge above him. His eyes roll open looking at you and his arms and legs start to flex and bend as he starts to unfold and stand up coming at you saying your fault your fault your fault knocking you back onto your ass as you just fall as he stands over you maybe swinging your knife closing your eyes and as you open them everything is gone the fridge is open there's nothing on your prep station except for a glass of water and a pill and you turn and see Lisa hovering behind you. I've prepared a glass of water and a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory pill, if you so desire. Uh, I'm, I'm good on the pill, Lisa. Thank you. I'll have the water. As you wish, Major Strong. I think y'all have in injected me with enough things. I think I would just blink my eyes again, rub my head, like, rub my head. I'd probably drop my knife throughout all that. I would pick my knife back up. Yeah. The, is all the food back in the fridge? Is there food? Yep. Okay. And I think I would just start going through the fridge and preparing a menu for the day. Wonderful. With that, we'll go back to Brooks on the outside. Oh, I didn't mention it, but I'm also very short. Cool. I'm like very petite, <laughs> like five feet tall. I can fit in small spaces. I'm six seven. I'm fucking huge. Oh jeez. Okay. I'm a hundred feet tall. <laughs> this is a weird energy. I'm seven five. This is actually missed, the usual you, energy. I had you guys good at the beginning. You missed Cap unnecessarily jab at how fucking short me and Ian are. Wait, are when we weren't even talking about it. Is seven oh five the God. exact inverse of your actual height five seven? Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. I'm seven five. <laughs> anyway. Brooks, I want to go back to you out on the hull of the Atola. Wow, that's a weird sentence to say. You should really try it in your mouth. Atola. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> should I say the whole thing? <laughs> no. You just said it no. way easier than I did. She looks so short out there. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing to fix this navigational array? What does this look like? Slapping it. <laughs> Ford is in the kitchen. Just what the hell is that noise? Is that knocking? Who's, who's banging on the wall? <laughs> I was banging on my, oh, I was banging on my comms. <laughs> they just scared me going. <laughs> you said it was basically hanging on by wires? Yeah. Like, imagine a satellite with a square plate at the bottom of it, bolting it to the hull of the ship. 
and that plate has come loose, and the only thing holding it onto the ship are a few wires, some of which are intact and some of which have frayed. Okay. Can I... <sighs> Katie knows nothing about mechanics, mm-hmm. but can you just I... say sci-fi words. I also don't know anything about biology, so it's totally fine. <laughs> Ryan does know how to cook. I've never been to space. <laughs> God damn it. So, so he says. I feel like I should probably cut these frayed wires and, like, cap them. Haha, uh-huh, that's your hey. name. Cap these <laughs> frayed wires. And then I want to figure out a way to fasten the metal part back to the ship. I assume there was like a metal casing originally around the wires. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe I could try to use my plasma gun to weld it back together, basically. Yeah, and because of your role, I think you do this. It just takes a little bit of time. Again, even your tools hardly make a noise out here. You're pretty insulated in your in your helmet here, and there's it's bright as you use this plasma gun. It's a little bit like a welding tool, but a little more high-tech than that, I think. I'm kind of picturing it almost like the little spray nozzle that you would put on the end of mm-hmm. a hose, but a little bigger. <laughs> if that makes sense. And it kind of just puts this plasma that welds the metal back together and seals it up, right? Yes, yeah. It's like a very fancy hot glue gun. <laughs> but with plasma. <laughs> no, that makes total sense. That is uh, that is 100% true science right there. That makes yep. so much sense. Well, you know, space I'm, science. I'm yeah. a space scientist. <laughs> so true. We're just going to leave that as it is and not say anything about that. <laughs> with the pause. That's me. <laughs> Uh, and Ian, I have not forget forgotten that you are hailing her, but I will bring it up when it is uh, the worst timing. Um, oh. oh, hail. Oh, hail. Uh, from their books, <laughs> what are you doing? What do you do? So you said it took some time, but I've fixed it? Yeah. I think that's what your move dictates, right? Yeah. I guess I would... I mean, since no one's, like, pinged me out here... I guess I would just start making my way back towards the the uh, what would you what do you call that airlock like the airlock yeah I would like to kind of like look around though and see if there's any other damage elsewhere on the atolla I don't see why not why don't you go ahead and survey the scene that is better that's a nine on the dice plus two that's an eleven. You get to ask me two questions from the list. Is there something important that I'm missing? Let me get the second question. What can help me? <laughs> it's the only other one I feel like is relevant. Because I already used what happened here. Hmm. Who's in charge here? I yell into space. Ha ha ha. You using your mechanics eyes look around the whole of the ship which you were pretty accustomed to i mean you did training you know the ship pretty well inside and out but other than some 
marks on the ship from where whatever debris knocked off this array hit. There's nothing that needs fixing. As you head back towards the airlock, you start to pull your way in in front of the door in front of that small circular window. And you see a shape move past it inside of the airlock. And, I mean, you know that you can open that door and let out whatever's in there and let yourself in. There is a one of those like lever pulls on the outside of the ship for you to get back in. But other than that, that's what you see. I just saw a shape. You saw something dark pass in front of the window inside of the airlock. Is this what can help me? The lever can help you by opening the airlock. Okay. <laughs> I was like, uh... And you just continually hear that <sighs> of your own breathing. I think I'm just I'm just gonna assume that it was like a glare or something on my sure. visor. So I'm gonna pull the lever. Kronk. <laughs> <laughs> pull the lever! Wrong <clears throat> lever! <laughs> Oh, I'm afraid now. Thank you. As soon as you pull the lever, the airlock doors, again, there's that release as the doors open and standing inside. Uh. Yeah, just like that. (laughs) Standing directly inside the doors in the airlock, wearing a hospital gown, looking directly at you is your brother Briggs. He is bruised. He has stitches along his face, and his legs are still in the external fixators that you saw him in before you went to space. These metal rods and rings lining his legs, jamming into the skin. And he looks at you with this open jaw, and his eyes link with yours inside your helmet, and he starts to step towards you. You can see these metal rods bending and his flesh pulling with every step as he starts to walk towards you. What do you do? Is he walking or is he floating? He is walking. (laughs) He is walking towards you. (laughs) He is still in the airlock. You are right outside the airlock. His arms are stretched outward coming towards you. I would panic a little bit. But I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid you're going to make me float into space here and then Brooks is just gone <laughs> forever. Yep. Day one, roll a new character. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I would panic. I think I would, like, kick back from the ship. Yeah, roll me an act under fire to try to get away from him. Uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Plus hand. God, I suck at hand. Good. Yeah, you do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna float into fucking space. No, you'll be fine. Spend a, a luck. Failure. You're I fine. Mean, it's a failure. Lux we got. It's a five minus one, so it's a four. You'll be fine. Go ahead and mark experience. Good I'm job. Gonna fucking float off in the. Brooks is gonna have to not Brooks. I'm Brooks. <laughs> Who is that? Kitten's gonna have to come save me. 
Brooks, here's what happens on your failure. You kick off the hull of the ship trying to get away from Briggs. And you do that. You push off and your tether goes taut. And it jerks you back towards the ship and you hit the side of the hull. You feel your head smash against it and your eyes go hazy for a moment. You feel this pressure and I'm going to have you take one stress. As you collect yourself and your vision comes back a little bit, your forearm starts to vibrate. And you see that you have an incoming call from Dr. Kinton over the Atollicoms. Do I see Briggs still? Nope. I'm sorry, I had my hand over my mouth. You're fine. Because I was scared. <laughs> uh, once your vision comes back to you, the airlock is open, which is dangerous and empty. Am I still hazy? You're a little hazy. You took a point of stress. It doesn't affect you right now. If you take too much stress, bad things will start to happen. But as of right now, you are just having this incoming comms transmission from Dr. Kinton. Okay, I'll answer it. Yo! Brooks, have you completed the repairs? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, it's good. Are you hurt? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. Oh. Did you get a sample of whatever hit the ship? Uh. N- no, I. Uh. Doctor, it was. It was just detritus. Uh. There's not much sample to be taken. <sighs> okay. Uh. Well, come in quickly. I'm. I've been experiencing some, um, well, some potential hallucinations. I'm afraid that I'm going to have to have Lisa reduce our dosage of the sleep aid. Well, that's, that's, that's reassuring. (laughs) Oh, thank God. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. You listened to the side effects, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Seeing, hearing, or feeling things that are not there. Ugh. Are you shaking? Are you sweating? <laughs> yes! <laughs> These are very personal questions. Can you sweat in space? She's in a suit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> She's not just naked out there. <laughs> I told you I've never been to space. <laughs> so true, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. Get to the lab as soon as possible. I, I'm ready to e- examine Make sure you're all right. I think that Major Strong is in the kitchen preparing a meal. Got it. I'm on the way. So, Brooks, you pull yourself in from the tether. As you release the tether and close the door, unless there's anything else you want to do beforehand. Mm-mm. As this release of air happens as the door is closing, you see the smallest shred of a piece of fabric get pulled out into space. A piece of a medical gown. It just whips out of the room as you re-enter the Atola. Now that the doors are closed and all is sealed, you can remove your Eva suit 
uh, put it back up with the others and make your way to the rest of the group. I do that. <laughs> Am I like bleeding or did I just hit my head hard? No, you didn't take any physical harm uh, in this game. Okay. There is both physical harm and stress. So that's between all right and exhausted, right? Yep. Yep. When you get exhausted, you don't die, but you do. Your next three rolls are bumped down a tier, whether it's from a success to a mixed or a mixed to a miss. Stress is not like a sanity meter. That is absolutely not at all what this game is like. Stress is you are people out in the vastness of space and you are going to get tired when you do things. Anytime you do combat, you get stress and I can dole it out as need be, but it's it's not a sanity meter or anything like that. That's not the game we're playing. Are you headed to the lab or to the central hub? I think I would go to the lab. Okay. Brooks, you make your way to the lab just as any normal trip through this spaceship. Do I see Lisa? Are you looking for Lisa? Uh, not necessarily. Then no. But I feel like I would notice if they were around. You don't run into Lisa on your way. Okay. I just want to know where Lisa goes <laughs> when they're not in scene because there's I'm a, suspicious. There's a of tube Lisa. that just sucks Lisa. <laughs> Apparently. You can look for Lisa if you want. I'm not stopping no. you. I know where Lisa is. <laughs> I'm gonna go meet with Kitten. Okay. I think when you get into the lab, Doctor Kenton is. I'm pouring myself another cup of coffee. And I eye you. I immediately, I don't greet you. I immediately start eyeing you down, looking for signs of harm. Oh. Uh. I, I just, I hit my head. Please have a seat, then, Brooks. I get out a small flashlight to shine in your eyes. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll sit down. I guess I let this happen. <laughs> You're basically just doing a concussion test? Yeah. 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 How many fingers am I holding up, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Brooks, you are sitting there and Dr. Kinton is holding like a pen flashlight. Am I correct in thinking this? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, like you pull it out of your pocket and click the button to light it. Yes. And it's almost trance-like as he's going left to right across your field of view and it it's bright in your eyes and it does obscure for a moment and he passes you a few times and you you see Dr. Kinton in between the light as it's moving but just for a moment there's one where he passes past you and you see Briggs holding the light in front of you you see his face that you saw when you were looking at him in the passenger seat, and just in a moment, just like that, in a flash, it is gone once again. Even the light is almost red like those brake lights you saw just for a moment, but then it is back to that white-yellow light of the pen, and you see Dr. Kinton in front of you. Is everything all right? I think I take my glasses off and just start like rubbing my eyes. Brooks, what's wrong? What's the matter? How long do the effects of the 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 cryo whatever whatever the hell you were talking about? How long do those effects last? Uh, it depends on the person. I can see if 
Lisa perhaps has something she could give you to mitigate the side effects if they are bad. Uh, how did you hit your head? Why did that happen? Oh, I'm debating if I <laughs> tell you this much. Let me reread our connection here. Plus one, all right connection is what I wrote down. Like a connection with a patient and a doctor, I feel like. That's pretty, you know, you're not friends, but you trust each other. Isn't that how we figured out you're not friends, but you know that each other are brilliant in their field? Yeah, I wrote down, like, I view him as a misogynistic know-it-all, but I know (laughs) that he knows what he's Not Ian, his character. (laughs) Yes. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But I respect him and know that he knows what he's doing or what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I I saw my brother out there. There. <laughs> that was my <laughs> one little boss. God damn it. <laughs> it just slipped. Every once in a while, your accent comes out. Um, when I'm around my family is, is when it really comes out. This is... Potentially worse than I thought. Um, Okay, I think that you should head to the central hub. Uh, I believe there is a meal in order to help get us back on our feet after being in a sleep state for so long. Yeah, maybe maybe some food would help. Uh, I turned to my data pad, and I make just a voice memo, like... um, be sure to follow up with Lisa that uh, our dosage is reduced and that <laughs> perhaps something can be administered to mitigate the side effects. I love the focus. Uh, I think this will lead you to, to the central hub, but this is a great time to use one of the moves, one of the game moves here, which is take a moment. So I want you all to act this scene out, but I'm going to read take a moment. When you take a moment on your own, you reduce your stress by minus one. When you take a moment with other spacers, you can take an additional minus one for each spacer included in the scene with a max of four. All spacers reduce their stress when participating in downtime. But you can just kind of collect yourselves, and if you spend time together, reduce your stress. I think I would help myself to a cup of coffee. Yeah, let's enter the central hub. Uh, What do... Dr. Kinton and Brooks see when they enter Ford. When they enter Ford. What do they see when they enter the central hub, Ford? What do they see when they enter Ford? God. Oh. (laughs) They see God. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yes, this is up to you. Describe what you're doing. That that was what do they see when they enter Uh, Yeah, I rephrased it in the background. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. What, what do they see when they enter the, the central, central hub, comma, Ford, question mark? Um, Ford <laughs> is in the kitchen finishing mm-hmm. up uh, breakfast, which he will come out with a few platters to place on what I imagine right outside of the kitchen there is a very large uh, island where he usually serves the meals. Kind of like a bar. There's a bar. we got there thank you major Um, I would like to see you in the lab when you have a moment after this meal 
Brooks and I have been experiencing some negative side effects of the uh, stasis and I um, am hoping to question you about it have you seen anything troublesome I'll gladly join you uh, I hope everyone is in the mood for spice this morning is queso con chorizo y huevos with a side of a fruit medley for breakfast I also have an assortment of salsas and tortillas. At Kenton mentioning like the hallucinations I'm kind of squinting at Ford because I don't trust him. It has been a bit of a strange morning. Some of this is understandable. We were asleep for nearly a year so uh, hopefully it will wear off but if not I will have a conversation with Lisa. I am going to start impolitely shoveling food onto a plate and shoveling it into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like 10 months in, in cryo sleep, you would just be starving by the time you wake up. Conversely, strong if you care to look. Kenton it gets a, a fair portion of fruit, gets a very small amount of chorizo, perhaps none at all, and is mostly just drinking his coffee. <laughs> so I can get it in my head. Dr. Kenton is, you said he's a heavy set, older, not quite 50, studi- studious looking, what did you say? Um, he's got glasses and an unkempt beard, um, mid-length curly hair but a pretty clear bald spot at the center of his head um and uh yeah i mean he's kind of has like a you know like a little bit of a snooty expression but that's just kind of his (laughs) resting resting face. face yeah what does ford look like again you said 50s long hair ford's mid 50s um long hair mostly like blondish brown but definitely graying but he keeps it in a very nice ponytail like very combed back well kept is he like fit like buff oh yeah he's very fit that's what i assumed but i just wanted to make sure not like swole but like yeah old old man strength very fit yeah yeah has anybody determined how close we are to our destination? Um, I was hired to cook the eggs, so... <laughs> sure, sure, um, of course. And I pull out my data pad and... You know, you know on the airplane when you can look at the see map the plane, and see yeah. where the no, plane I was is. <laughs> <laughs> but like with space graphics... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like lines and planets. Stars. Stars. <laughs> it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't see an issue with that. You bring up the navigational display, and it is a little fritzy as it's just been repaired. It, like, glitches out a little bit as you look at it, and the ship on the line to the moon kind of jumps off the line for a second and then back to the line. 
but you are nearing Arcadia 19. You are nearly there. I just, how well do we know each other? Like, how extensive was this training prior to this? I mean, obviously, I have an opinion already of these people, but... The training was intensive. A little less for you, because you came on late to the project after your brother was injured. But you three did not train together. Okay. What you did do is when you were assigned a ship, you all met and spent about a week with each other. You took off together. and Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You spent about a week together in the ship, and then Lisa put you all in cryosleep for ten months. It does look like we are approaching Arcadia soon, I doubt. Lisa will put us back in cryo. Where is where is Lisa? I got a mouthful of eggs. <laughs> what a weird thing to say. <laughs> where I can't do a fake full mouth. Where's Lisa? No. Well, nobody's asking you to talk with your mouth full. Though. <laughs> Just put your hand in your mouth. No, <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> Lisa has quite a few tasks, including piloting the ship. So uh, likely, they have continue to do so, uh, but they are always available if we can, if you would like to question them. I'm not gonna lie, it sounds like you're turning into Lisa. <laughs> One can only dream. <laughs> Your voice is going a little little Lisa there. If you don't like my voice, then I can try to change it, but, uh, it would no, be much it's, easier it's for great. my for my brain if I could just focus on biology, the tasks at hand. I do like that we have Lisa Simpson, and you are literally the guy in the comic book store so from true. The Simpsons. <laughs> so true. I'm trying not to go full that guy. But... <laughs> Dinner tonight will be at eighteen hundred. You don't want to miss it. It'll be a delight. I'm making mushroom parmesan risotto with mint rubbed roasted lamb chops and a field green salad thank you major that sounds much more to my palate well my meditation hour is approaching so i must return to my quarters i hope everyone enjoys breakfast w were you going to see me in the med bay first on uh, my lap uh, yeah yes as you go to exit the central hub here, walking towards the doorway around the corner, comes in the floating globe of Lisa. I apologize for the interruption, crew of the Atola. It is good to see you all on your feet. Brooks, I commend you on your repairs of the navigational array dish. It is functioning at 98% capacity. I would like to inform the three of you that we are about to enter the exosphere of Arcadia 19. If you would prepare for landing and disembarkment. Lisa starts to turn and exit the room. Brooks, did you have a question for Lisa? 
No, I do I... Do you have a question for me? I think I think that she did, yes. Oh, uh Well earlier I... you were asking where they were, so I assume you had a question for, for Lisa. I was just curious where Lisa was on the ship. Did you not go through the training? Did you did did they not sufficiently <laughs> get you up to date on the way the ship functions or Lisa's uh, tasks I'm 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 up to I'm up to date or do you perhaps think that Lisa is some sort of lapdog or maid to come at your beck and call <laughs> hey man I hey hey your curiosity is commendable Brooks I spend the majority of my time on the viewing deck, piloting the Atola. I've just, I've never met, oh, oh, I've never met artificial intelligence. Okay, I just wanted to know. And I have never met a Brooks. Aww. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. Doctor. My meditation hour is very important to me. I must say we should get this examination over with quickly, please. Yes, uh, time, I think, is limited before we land. Uh, so, yes, please, it will be quick. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, goodness. Thank you. You owe me a soda. I... I, I, I wouldn't touch them. No. <laughs> neither of you neither of you would eat soda drink soda please do not eat the soda <laughs> Katie actual alien says <laughs> yeah. space makes soda hard okay <laughs> after some time collecting your things and checking up on each other making sure you are fit to begin this mission that you have been sent out upon you feel the shudder of the ship as you enter the very thin exosphere of Arcadia 19 standing in the cargo bay you can see out of some small windows the docking bay for the Arcadia 19 Carrion Corp mining facility is an architecturally jagged hub jutting out of this desolate moon. The exterior grays of the building would almost blend directly into the environment if not for the Carrion Corp logo emblazoned on the top and on two sides of the structure. You can see further towards the horizon the mining facility itself, kept at a distance from any ships landing or taking off, a safety measure, so nothing accidentally goes boom when it shouldn't. The landing gear of the Atolla extends as you approach the open-air docking bay, and you land gracefully in one of the open landing pads under the guidance of Lisa, with the help of that newly fixed navigational array. The three of you don your EVA suits, collect any and all equipment that you may need, and the cargo ramp extends from underneath the door of the airlock and finds purchase in the unfamiliar moon's crust. The three of you take your first steps towards that structure. And that's where we'll end it for you. Oh, God.
Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Deep within the man-made room and pillar mine beneath the Arcadia 19 Carrion Corp mining facility, one crew member happily finishes out his shift alone before clocking out, returning to the cage, and then back up the shaft to base camp. Get out your giggles. Shaft. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't I didn't catch it. The name tag affixed to his Eva suit, now worn from months of constant labor, reads Bachman. His Eva helmet, like all other employees, is calibrated to filter out the droning hums and ratcheting clangs of the nearby drills, generators, and the various blasting and sorting equipment spread throughout these labyrinthine tunnels. Returning his tools into their proper receptacles, he begins to whistle attuned to himself. Nothing grand or boisterous, just a catchy jingle he must have picked up from a commercial or a passing radio tuned to an unfamiliar station. The acoustics afforded to Bachman because of his suit allow an almost orchestral rendition with an audience of one. Or, in this case, two. Unbeknownst to Bachman, a shadow builds against his turned back, growing and finding shape until its enormous size completely overtakes him. His blissful tune continues as he puts the finishing touches on what will now be his last day working for the Carrion Corporation. As he takes a brief rest to wet his lips, Bachman pauses, stunned as his blissful tune continues without him. With an inaudible gasp, Bachman turns towards the source, Behind the glass of his helmet, his eyes bulge in utter terror. The constant noise of the mining equipment is overwhelmed in an instant as a buzzing, rhythmic, guttural trill gives a gross rendition of the tune. The sound loses its register and echoes through their mind, becoming something discordant and full of malice. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Cap asked me to put that on the soundboard. You did. <laughs> Going to be the outro song of every episode. That was actually, that wasn't Ryan's thing. That was Quinn. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's going to be, that be the Quinn song. This is just him going, oh. <laughs> yeah. For the briefest moment, I thought you were about to start singing the Whimsy World theme song. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, I made a sequel. All right. Let's end that recording. We did it. Good was job. Was that good? Well, I, okay, good. I I was hoping I would time it as soon as you were done. Good. I was. I'm done. I finished. <laughs>